Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, real quick this morning before we jump into this, uh, this week on Thursday is Veterans Day, and so um, we want to say a special welcome to those who are military active members or veterans, and just want to say thank you for your service. We appreciate you very much. Uh, My name is Matt Altfeltis. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse, and if you're joining us online or at Bluffton uh, this morning, uh, maybe you don't know who I am, um, that's okay. Uh, Real quick, I'll introduce myself um, and uh, my my family and I moved here to Finley uh, back in May of this year and we've been here for just a little bit of time and kind of getting used to it from Colorado. Now, many people have said, Matt, why would you move from Colorado to Ohio? Uh, And, well, when God calls, I'm going to move, I'm telling you. So God says move, so I move, uh, and our whole family moved across the country here. And I'll just tell you what, I think that a lot of people that are from Ohio really sell yourself short on how beautiful it is here. It's a pretty amazing place, and so so don't don't lose track of that. My wife and I have been married for nearly uh, 27 years, and we have two kids. I have uh, John, he's 15, and Emma is 17. And I mentioned Emma last, not because she was born last, she was actually born first, but this morning I uh, wanted to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she's an amazing kid, uh, senior in high school, but when she was born, she was born with something really, uh, really unique, a unique challenge ahead of her. Um, and when she, uh, when she was born, uh, she, um, she was born in a position called Frank Breach. And so she was, she was breached, which means she was upside down. She was also a frank, which means that her feet were like up by her ears. Her legs went straight up in front of her. Her, her feet were, her legs went up like this in front of her. And so she was, she was butt down in the womb and her feet were up like this. And it kind of created some unique things where they tried to turn her. They did an aversion, tried to turn her so that she would come out right. And it didn't work. And so we had to go to other, other plans to, for her, for her to be born. But when she came out, the doctor that, that, that took her uh, from, uh, from the one, from, from, the, from the one who, uh, who helped her give birth, which took her, actually held her there, and realized instantly that something wasn't right. And realized that what wasn't right was the fact that she had, she had no hip sockets. She was not born with hip sockets, and because of the position that she was born in, her hip sockets had not formed. And so basically her femur was able to move, you know, without anything to hold it in place. And so what happened is we left the hospital that day, and we, we went directly to a specialist, and that specialist uh, put her in, in a, uh, some sort of a, I don't know, it was just basically a, a harness. They called it a rhino harness, and it was plastic, and it was Velcro, and it was probably really uncomfortable. Thank goodness she probably doesn't remember it, but what it did was it was to help hold her hips in the right place so the sockets could form. Well, sometime after that, we went back to follow up, and the doctor said, and the doctor looked at it and said, you know, nothing has changed. We're going to give it another week but nothing has changed. There's still no hip socket at all. And so we're going to get her another week, and then you're going to come back. And so we came back a week later. They did another x-ray after, after that week. Well, maybe so we step back. But during that week, we said, hey, we need our family to pray, to ask God to show up. And God did. Because one week later, we showed up. She had hip sockets. It's amazing to watch how God shows up in those moments of our lives where we feel like he's missing. And all we can do in those moments is to look and say, 
That was my God that showed up. Ever been there? Ever prayed for God to show up? You ever prayed for God to show up? Maybe, maybe for you, you're good at praying when you're only in a pickle, when things, when things are bad. Maybe you're good at praying when something is broken and you can't fix it. Maybe, maybe you're good at praying. You think prayer is like, is, like, is like this cosmic pinata where we just reach up and we start swinging at it and we get whatever comes out. Maybe we think about prayer and we, we see, somehow see God as being this cosmic genie or maybe the opposite, a cosmic killjoy. Maybe you look at prayer and you pray only when, when, when it suits you or when the need arises. You cry out in your brokenness. You pray, cry out in your anger. You cry out in your sadness. And you say, God, where are you? You cry out in joy when things are going well. And you pray to God. And you say, God, you showed up in an amazing way. Maybe your prayers are when you feel like God is absent or just quiet. Maybe you pray before you take a trip in the car. Or maybe it's just the obligatory prayer where it's just before dinner. That's when you pray. And the fact is, is, that, is that those are all times that we do pray. But let me just say that you might be feeling, feel, but you, might be, you, might, <clears throat> you might be feeling with these things, the things that you might be feeling in this moment about prayer and the way that you personally pray and the things you pray for. And let me just tell you that you're not alone. So many people have occasions for praying. So many people have moments when they choose to pray, and they may never talk to God other than those moments in their lives. But what if we prayed as a regular part of life because we're convinced that it really matters? What if we actually prayed because we believed that God was actually interested in hearing us and actually wants to show up? What if we prayed prayers like the one that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3? What if we prayed that prayer? How about if we prayed things that, that may not be, we may not be used to praying, things like, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. What if we pray that? What if we pray that? Paul prays that these people and us as well, as well would understand how much God loves them. And I can't help but wonder, have you ever stopped to actually ponder that question or to actually ask yourself that question to look at it? Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you get that? Do I get that? Do I understand that? Have you ever just stopped to ponder that thing? God loves me. We'll wrap around to that here in just a second. I saw a Facebook post this last week, and the post was this, and it basically was a picture of the beautiful leaves. And by the way, that's the beauty of Ohio. It's the beautiful leaves this time of year, the red and the yellow. And it was just this picture there, and the caption below, below it said, it said this. It said, uh, not trying to brag, but I know the artist personally. <laughs> Love it. Love it. It's that God that we can pray to. And today we're going to look at these verses in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read through, read through it fully. And then we're going to kind of go back and slowly unpack these words. Uh, and as, as Fritz said, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. And so if you're not there in your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. Actually, maybe even more like 85 or 90% of the way through your Bible. You can go through there and you can find it. Hopefully it's there. But we're going to read this here starting in verse uh, 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in the heavens and on earth is named. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of his work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love those words. I love that. He starts with, for this reason. And so he's kind of looking back. It's almost like the therefore statement in this passage here where he says, for this reason. The first two chapters of Ephesians just demonstrate God's amazing grace. You have the beginning in chapter 1 about recognizing all that we have because of God. And then he has this prayer where he's praying for them to have wisdom and clarity of thought that they would point everything to Jesus. And then we jump into chapter 2, and you have probably a very familiar verse in there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace we are saved through faith. That's in, that's in there, but it gives us this picture of the progression of God's work in you, where it starts with, but God. It starts with, but, I'm sorry, you were before God. And then it jumps into, but God did something in you. But God. And then it says, you have. And it ends with, you are. Our identity in Christ being changed through this progression of the gospel working itself out in you. And then in the chapter 3, he speaks of what the gospel is and what it does and the value to us, which leads us to these verses today. And it starts with, for this reason. When we look at what God has done in, re- in redeeming us as his people, he responds in what looks like a very appropriate way, humble praise and worship. This is Paul's response here in Ephesians 3. This is Paul responding saying, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to worship you. And when we reflect on God's amazing grace toward us, it leads us into a posture of humility. At least I hope it does. And the question beyond that is, why would it ever do that? Because he is the God who called us. He's the God who adopted us. He's the God who redeemed us. He forgave us. He died in our place. He bought you. He brought you from death to life. You're alive in him, and he has a place for you in eternity. You're part of his church now until that point. And in light of this, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And I want to spend some time dropping on this kneel part here. I kneel before the Father. And regardless of how or why or when we pray, we're talking to the most caring, the most loving, the most, the most caring, the most sympathetic, the most graceful and faithful one that there is. This is who you're praying to when you pray. This is who you're praying to. You're praying to this very one who cares for you more than you could ever imagine. And so we kneel before him. Prayer begins and ends with worship. Because our response is to recognize God for who he truly is, and it begins and ends with worship. And this is what Paul's doing here. He begins with worship. He begins with worship. Worship is not just the singing of songs. Worship is the expression of Christ in our everyday lives. It's who God is and what he does in our everyday lives. It's when we contact with other people. It's worship when we hear God's word spoken. It's worship when we pray. And when we we strip down worship, It is God at work in you first, and worship is my humble response to hearing the gospel because I can now clearly see who I truly am and falling on my knees before God and say, I need you. I need you. 
And that's our response there. And in response, he doesn't look at us and say, well, come back when you have it all figured out, when you're kind of cleaned up and, you're, and, and you're, you're, ready, you're ready to go. No, he says, come as you are. He doesn't look at us and, and see a second-class citizen who might someday do enough good to get into heaven, to be in his presence. God isn't working and want, God, isn't, God isn't good and wanting to hear from us and know us because of how good we are. He does it because of how good he is. That's who God is. He's a God who shows us how good he is. And there really is a good picture of what humble gratitude looks like in Psalm 95. I read a portion of it this morning uh, with a team out in the lobby, but I want to read it. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep under his care. That's who this God is. And so prayer starts with humility, and then it moves into desperation. That's another posture of what it means to, 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 be, to be kneeling before God, is desperation, kneeling posture of desperation, seeing ourselves rightly. And as I read this, I don't see Paul coming as some cold theologian who's trying to, who's try, who's trying to be right in front of people who are and crafting some sort of a sophisticated argument for the philosophers in a room to consider. That's not what he's doing at all. He's a deeply passionate leader. In fact, if you look at the end of Acts chapter 20, he's actually leaving from the people in Ephesus, and he's actually leaving. And what does he do at the end of Acts 20? It says that what he's doing is he's shedding tears after he gives them kind of a commission to go and encourages them to go on with further instructions. And we again see in the same verses that he knelt with them to pray. Or what about Stephen? Well, he's being stoned. And by the way, there was a young man by the name of Saul who is the writer of this now. His name is Paul. But at that time in his life, he was standing there watching Stephen get stoned. And what did Stephen do? Stephen fell to his knees to pray for his persecutors. What an amazing posture that is for him in that moment. He does that. So why is Paul so passionate here? I think it's because he knows that they need something that can only come from God. And it's power. It can only come from God, and it's this power. Notice in verse 16, it says that God would grant them to be strengthened. God would give them the strength that they need in the moment. And verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knee. The impact of the gospel brings him to his knees. He wants other believers to experience God's grace the way that he has. And we talk about on his knees again, overwhelmed, it's too much. It's a place of total submission. It's a place, it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of giving up. To understand the gospel is to be overwhelmed by it. If you ever talk to someone that's passionate about the gospel and you hear it and it comes through in their voice, overwhelmed by it to where sometimes you just can't get the words out because it just overwhelms you. And you go from a posture of overwhelmed to going back into the Bible and you dig in and you go, oh, there's an understanding again. To where you're overwhelmed again, to where you're back in, you're going, understand, overwhelmed. It's this vicious cycle. It's kind of like being in the ocean you ever been to the ocean before and you're in the ocean there and you're just out there and just floating in the waves and just this picture of looking around you going, man, I could, this could take me. <laughs> this may not end well. A number of years ago, my family was in San Diego, California. That's on the other end of the country, just so you guys know. We were in San Diego, California, and uh, we were boogie boarding. And so we're out there on this water and the waves were big that day. 
And I was out there, and my kids were out there. I don't know where they were, but they were out there, and I'm not sure why I let them go out there. But they did, and they're here today. It's okay. Uh, but, I, but I went out there, and I just remember being on this boogie board and feeling so small in that moment. And there were moments when I would look behind me, and I would go, man, that is just going to kill me. And it did. But I made it. I made, I made it out. It was one of those things where I, I would look at it, and I would just see myself drifting, and I was overwhelmed, and I understood, and I was overwhelmed. Paul's life-changing moment that he uses as his testimony over and over again. He wants us all to have that and share it too. To share the life-changing moment that God gave us. So how do you come to God? Is it in desperation? Do you recognize that you are desperate for him? Do you recognize that posture of being desperate for God? Do you realize that you are helpless and powerless without God? I think of the story of Jesus as he came into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday. He came in on the back of a donkey, and he came in, they were waving palm branches, and, and he came in, and they were going to try to make him their king, but that wasn't, that wasn't what Jesus' plan was. But I, I'm thinking about what, happened, what may have happened that next Monday. That same donkey goes walking through town, right? Goes walking through town, and people are going, wow, he's going, man, where are the palm branches? Me, yesterday I came through here, and there were palm branches, and they're waving them at me. Where's that? Walks over to people and kind of nudges them and goes, goes you know, just, and they're like, just get out of here, slap him on the butt, and the donkey moves on, that kind of thing. And it's that posture of that donkey recognizing maybe who that donkey is, desperately trying to get people, but just ignoring him. And it's because Jesus, without Jesus, that donkey is just an ordinary donkey. <laughs> just an ordinary donkey. Without any purpose except for Jesus. The same is true for us. Because without him, we can do nothing. And if nothing else, this should humble us and make us desperate. But it should also make us something else, encouraging us. It should encourage us. Give us confidence that we can do this. But it requires humility again. But this time, it is a humble confidence. So we have humility, we have desperation, and the last one is exactly that, confidence in God. A confidence that God is there, and a confidence that God will show up. And this isn't arrogance. This is confidence. What's the difference? One's about me, and one's about God, right? It's about God. It's that, it's that there. The difference for us is recognizing that it's God and not us. And we should come with confidence, we should come with confidence. And we could go through so much of the Bible and see how God sees his children. And when we see how God sees his children, not only can we step before him, but we can know that he's got our back, that he's there for us. He's cheering us on. He loves to love you. And even bigger is to see that he is over all and above all so we can approach him with confidence. There's something more here for us. And it isn't just about the posture of prayer or the proper position of our hearts in prayer, but there's even more here because I want you to see the power of prayer. In verse 16, it picks up, it picks up again. It says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There are two things here. It's strength. It is strength and love. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about strength and really land on the love part. But there's an incredible emphasis in our culture toward the outer being. And this verse talks about the inner being. But our culture really pushes this outer being sort of perspective. And we present ourselves sort of like being, you know, presenting ourselves on social media. We know how to make ourselves look the best. We post the best pictures of ourselves. And if we take five pictures, we're going to choose the one that works the best because it makes us look the best in life. It's that sort of thing we put ourselves on. But this tells us that the inner being is more important. By the way, the inner will feed the outer. The inner is going to feed the outer. And this is where we need the strength and power on our side. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The outer man is perishing, but the inner is being renewed. I love that. The inner is being renewed. This is going to perish, but the, out, but the inner is being renewed. And we look on the surface and we go, well, yeah. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm falling apart. As I get older, there are certain things that just don't happen the way they used to happen. And I'm just kind of good with it and just kind of rolling with what, the, with what, that, with what that is. Some of you are in your prime and you feel good and you felt as strong as maybe you've ever felt. And you would agree with that for the most part. But for me and for some of you in this room, you're north of 42, right? And you're going, you're going things, just aren't, things just may not be the same for you. And so I look at myself and I say, maybe I'm doing something super simple, a routine that you do every day, only to throw out your back or you blow out your ankle or an ACL. And then people ask you what happened to you and you wish you had a better story behind the injury that doesn't sound so lame. And you say, what happened to you? I was, I was tying my shoe. <laughs> you know the feeling, right? The outer is falling apart. The inner is being renewed. The outer man is not. Some of you are pretty young, and the truth may be you're feeling well, but so much of our lives seem to point to this truth. And yet, what this is telling us here is that despite the outer part of us falling apart over time, the inner part is being renewed. And here's the cool thing. It's by the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what is renewing us. It's God's Spirit in you if you're a follower of him, if you said yes to him as your forgiver and leader, it's the spirit in you that's renewing you. Verse 16, it says that he may grant you strength. Why? Well, verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm a bit of a linguist, uh, amateur, I'll add, because there are plenty of times where the words that I like are not necessarily words that, that work in my favor uh, and that kind of thing. But as a linguist, I really love this word dwell. I really do. It's just, it's, it's a word that's strong, dwell. So I did a Google search on dwell, and guess what came up? Pictures of houses, dwellings. And I, thought, I think that works really, really well in this. Uh, and, 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 and you see it that it actually is Christ, especially as we look in this passage here, because we see it as Christ dwelling in our hearts. You see, not just Christ dwelling in our hearts, but it's about Christ ruling in our hearts. And yes, it says dwell here, but the essence is Christ ruling, being the leader, taking that leadership role in our hearts. And this is exactly what we talk about here at Lighthouse when we say, say yes to Jesus as our forgiver and leader, not just coming to inhabit the space, maybe that God-shaped hole or whatever we want to call it, but rather to settle down in our hearts. I'm not talking cardiopulmonary system. I'm talking about your heart of hearts, your inner being, who you are. And this is the difference between a permanent resident and a short-term resident, owning versus buying or versus renting. It's that, that picture there. And he's not a guest, but rather he may be at home in your heart. And some of you have gotten to know me a little bit. 
in the short time that I've been here, and perhaps you've realized that I'm not a person okay with doing nothing. I'm okay. Not, I'm, I'm not okay just doing nothing. I, I like to be doing things. And it's not just the case in my professional life. As I grow and I'm trying to, trying to learn things for myself to be a better leader, a better pastor, a better parent, those sorts of things, a better husband. But one of the things that I tend to do is I, is, is I never tend to be t- content with how things are. Historically, I'm the guy that goes and buys the worst house in the best neighborhood and turns it around. Shh, don't tell anybody, but I do a lot of those things myself. And I do those things, and I turn this house around, and I make it into something that works for me, make it into something that fits me and my family. Now, that's not, that, that is not the case in moving here because the house we bought here is fantastic. We love our home that we have here. But I'm already making changes here to personalize this house, to make it mine. Changing stuff, painting walls, and things, things like that. And that's what it means when it says that so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I read a book a couple of years ago. The book was called Spiritual Reformation. And I want to read you a caption from the book just to kind of help draw this out. It says this. It says, when Christ, by his spirit, takes up residence within you, he finds the moral equivalent of trash, black and silver wallpaper. If you have black and silver wallpaper, I'm sorry for that. Black and silver wallpaper and a leaking roof. He sets about turning this residence into a place appropriate for him, a home for which he is comfortable When a person takes up permanent residency somewhere, their character eventually characterizes that dwelling. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that's why Paul prays for power. He is transforming us into a house that is pervasively reflecting his own character. That's Christ moving into us. And when he moves in, he renovates us. And we start to reflect his character because he is the one that is changing us from the inside out, the inner being. The verse moves into talking about strength and love. And now it's just talking about love, and calls, and, and, but calls us to know it better, to know God's love better. Look what it says in verse 17, picking up halfway through verse 17. It says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that, may, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When we can start to understand God's love for us, we'll begin to live, we'll begin to think, we'll begin to respond differently. These words here are a call to know it better, to know God's love for you better. Notice how I said that, to know God's love for you better. I said it earlier, but I try to get my mind around this. Consider how much God loves you. Consider how much he loves you. Just try to get your mind around the creator of the universe, the one who made the earth and everything in it, And everything beyond it loves you. Pretty humbling. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's connecting this radical, amazing love of God to obedience. Not that God loves us because we're obedient, but rather we are obedient because we know how much God loves us. And thus it leads to radical obedience for us. This is what we mean by all in. All in on prayer. We're praying to this God that we know loves us this much. I want to paint a picture of this love for you. 
It's rooted in the fact that he loves the messy, easily drawn away, often taken, to, taken into temptation and sin, pursuing self-leadership, you. That's who he loves. He takes who you are and says that all your impulses toward things that are wrong, things that are jacked up, and no longer, and, and no longer seen because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let that sink in. I am crucified with Christ. The picture of love in this is Jesus paying the ultimate sacrifice for you and dying so you wouldn't have to. He knows you better than you know yourself because he created you and loves you anyway. It's a love that's beyond your ability to understand. Verse 19 says it like this, is it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses your ability to get your mind around it. It's a love that you can know and even explain to a certain degree, yet it's something that needs to be experienced. It's a love that can, be, that can never be taken away from you once you have it. Once you say yes to Jesus, it's a love that has limitless scope and depth. It's a love that knows no end. It's a love that has more dimension that you can count. But in verse 18, we should never stop trying to comprehend it. It's a love that forgives you even when you can't forgive yourself. Let me caution you with that one real quick. Because similar, since there is no greater authority than God, when he forgives us, it's gone. And to say you can't forgive yourself is saying that you're identifying yourself differently than God does. And that's self-leadership. And we need to set that aside. I love Psalm 103, where it says, so far as the east is from the west, that far have I removed your transgressions from you. You ever go west? You're never gonna be going east. You're always gonna be going west. Your sin will never be seen. God forgives us. It will never meet again. It's gone. That's the love that these verses is talk, are talking about. That's the love that Paul is praying for us. That's the love that we need to learn to embrace. I'm going to close with the last two verses in this passage here. The last two verses really quickly. And the last part of this passage is a very simple challenge. To pray expecting God to show up. To actually pray, believing that God wants to show up in that prayer and that he's actually going to do something in that moment. The last part of this very simple challenge, expecting God to show up, the $50 word for this is doxology. It's doxology. So three questions to ask in this verse. First question is what? Verse 20 says that God is able. God is able to do what? Notice all the words that he piles on. Notice these words here. All the words that he piles on in verse 20 on top of each other to really pop, prop up God's sovereign power. To do what? To, abo to do above. And on top of that, he says this, to do above all and beyond. And then beyond that, he says, he props it up even further. He says, to, above, to do above all and beyond all we ask. And then he props it up further and says, to do above and beyond all that we ask and think. It's this stacking of words to say, this is who this God is. Yeah, he's going to show up. He's going to show up. God can do more in one prayer than we can do in a lifetime. How? 
How does God work beyond our imagination? Verse 20 tells us, says it, says, according to the power at work in us. Followers of Christ have power to do it in us. It's God's spirit at work in us. God has the power to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And why? Why does God do these things? Why would he ever want to do these things? This should be the ultimate goal of our prayer. But look at verse 21. It says this, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Why would God want to do this? Do you know why God blesses his people? It's for his glory. So he's the one that ends up on the pedestal and is seen and not us. Again, it's not the outer being, it's the inner being. And that's where Christ is renovating us and changing us as we seek him in prayer. How long? Forever. (laughs) And it doesn't just say forever, it's forever and ever. In other words, there is no end. It's not limited. It's not God runs out of, out of ability to bless us. It's God says, no, I continue to, I continue to, I continue to. And then you'll spend eternity with me, and you're going to know blessing like nothing you've ever seen before. So we pray to this God. See, this prayer in here is powerful. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, it should impact the way that we pray. Praying to how we come before God and praying So I want to challenge you this week to maybe go back and to memorize this passage. Verses 14 through 21, to memorize it. If you haven't done it before, go back and do it. Memorize it. Put those words in your heart. The Bible says, your word have I put to my heart that I might not sin against you. Put them in your heart. Memorize them. Know what they say. The second thing I want to challenge you with is the truth of God's love for us is too great to keep to ourselves. Who can you talk to and share this with next week? Will you pray that God will bring someone into your life that you can share this incredible love with? Will you pray that God will give you not only opportunity, but courage in the moment to share with people? And the third thing is this, and it's on your, both those first two are on your connection card because we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to walk alongside you this week and support you in that. The third thing is this, maybe you don't know this love that I'm talking about. Maybe this love is something that is foreign to you and you're going, yeah, I don't got that. Truth is, is that today you can have that. You can have that peace and that joy and know that the love of God that I've described here today is a love that you will have and experience now and for eternity by saying yes to Jesus as your forgiver and your leader. I'd like everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. We end every service with this and we ask one simple question. What is God saying to you right now? And maybe right now as you pray, Pray and look to who Christ is and what he has done. I would challenge you right now maybe to pray that you will see and understand fully the love that God has for you.
here at Lighthouse, we don't just talk about prayer. We actually believe it matters. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We're going to sing one more song, and if you want to pray, I'm just going to encourage you to slip out of your seat. And there are prayer partners that are going to be in the four corners of the room, two up front, two in the back. And you can just grab one of those, one of those people, and you can go over there, and you can pray. Pray about any area of your life. And you don't have to be a member of Lighthouse Community to pray. You don't, ever, you don't have to be embarrassed to pray. We all need prayer. You need prayer. I need prayer. So I'm going to ask you that during this next song, if you need prayer, I want you to come down. I want you to go to the back. I want you to find one of these people and just let them pray with you because we want to do that. But before we do, I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.